Hello, and welcome to Wicked Wednesdays, your weekly podcast on sex and sexuality with an emphasis on BDSM kink and poly relationships. I'm your host, Wicked Fellow, and this week I'm answering a viewer's question on how to know if you're a submissive and also how I can tell if someone is submissive or one can tell if someone is a submissive. Before we get started, I want to welcome our newest Patreon, M E M. Thank you very much for your support. I'm really striving to produce a professional-level podcast and videocast, and obviously I'm a long way from that. It's very difficult because I have to balance, you know, living a regular life, working, getting stuff done, and also the surprising amount of time it takes to produce podcasts like this, handle all the fan correspondence, do the Patreon stuff, and I enjoy that very much, but it's hard for me because I can't place that ahead of paying work, for example. It'd be very nice if this was all I had to do, but it's far from all I have to do. So, you Patreon subscribers especially, you guys are so amazing to me because even that little bit of support really helps make this keep going and makes it worthwhile. Gives me a good reason to get down here. So thank you guys very much. If you would like to become a Patreon, head to wickedfellow.com. That's our website. You can find all of our links there, the YouTube page, podcast page. All of those things are hosted there, as well as there are direct links if you want to contact me. The social media sites are there as well, Instagram, Twitter, etc. Earlier this week, or I guess it was last week, um, Pornhub's main Instagram page got taken down. I don't know if they've put that back up yet. Of course, all of the social media sites, with the exception of Twitter, have been extremely intolerant of any kind of adult creation. So it always kind of surprised me that Instagram was allowing Pornhub to have a verified account because we all know what they do. For example, if I were to link directly to an adult site, Instagram would ban my account. And that's possibly what happened before. I used to have an Instagram page that got taken down without any explanation from Instagram. But I'm assuming it's because I had a lot of connections to our, our Pornhub stuff. And it always surprised me because Pornhub itself has an actual site or had an actual site on Instagram. So I don't know if that's going to be a permanent thing. Obviously, all of us in the sex worker community, in the pro-porn community, we're doing our best to stay within the guidelines, or at least most of us are. But yeah, those, those social networking is very valuable to us. It helps us with outreach and advertising and all that kind of thing. And all of the social media companies are very hesitant to allow any kind of adult content, even though they know it sells and they push it very hard. You know, all the fitness girls on my Instagram feed, whom I'm very appreciative of, and I follow their pages religiously, there's a reason they're so popular, right? Sex sells. So obviously, you know, we want to have some kind of barrier to little kids seeing things that they shouldn't see. To me, that seems like something they can handle with age verification and such, rather than trying to disnify the entire internet, because you cannot... And any determined kid can get past a lot of this stuff. So the responsibility lies with parents who don't want their kids to see this kind of stuff. Not necessarily us content creators who are doing our best to follow the rules. And I never post anything to Instagram that's even remotely something that shouldn't be seen by all. But there's a possibility, as always, that that will get taken down again. So if you're a listener or you're a subscriber, 
you're someone that wants to keep in touch with what goes on with our studio, note down wickedfellow.com because that's my site. I own it. And so I'm not worried about it getting taken down, at least for now. But our Instagram page could go away tomorrow. Twitter could change its policies tomorrow. You never know. So that's why, you know, for me, it was important to have our own site. If you're a content creator of any kind, it's worth the investment to set up a website. It's fairly expensive. You know, we're talking a few hundred dollars a year to maintain a site. But, you know, losing contact with all of your fans can be devastating, as we found out a couple of years ago. So, yeah, just getting that message out there bookmark our site or at least write it down somewhere if suddenly our instagram site disappears you know why it's because instagram may be moving towards a much more strict policy on any kind of adult content and of course we are adult content creators and you don't have to dig too deeply in our links to find adult sites and that's just how it goes so with that unpleasantness out of the way I had a question sent to me recently, and it's very indicative of questions I frequently get. So this one is a good jumping off point for this topic. And they write, I've come across your channel and I find it very interesting. In a podcast, you said that you know when you meet someone if they are submissive. How do you know? Also, I feel that I have a tendency towards submissiveness and I enjoy some sub aspects in bed for sure. How do I know that I am a sub? Well, I will do my best to answer that. I have talked about this in other episodes, specifically the, you know, the BDSM 101 episodes on what is a sub and what's it like to be a sub? What is a dom? What is it like to be a dom? But they were a while ago. And this is something that I think a lot of people may struggle with as they're entering into their BDSM space and they're entering into the world of BDSM. It seems very clear cut and hierarchical as to who's who, who does what, who's in charge, who takes orders, etc. And for a lot of people, I think there's no question. You know, they it never occurs to them to question who they are. They just know. But I'm aware that that's not a very good answer for someone who is questioning whether or not they're a submissive, whether or not they are a dominant. And there's kind of two avenues there. One is they may be switchy. And we've talked about switches before, but I want to reiterate, you know, what is the switch persona? How does that work? And a switch is someone that has both submissive and dominant tendencies. And depending on their mood, how they're feeling, who they're playing with, they may either want to be in a dominant role or they may want to be in a submissive role. And both of those things exist perfectly well inside of them. And... Well, I don't think it's necessarily important. I would say that people that are truly switchy are a smaller portion of the BDSM community, but they certainly exist and they are a, you know, healthy, happy part of the community. But I think by and large, most people either feel fairly dominant or they feel fairly submissive. That third category of switch, it can be difficult for people because people who are very submissive will sometimes not want to be dominated by someone who is switchy. They want their dominant to be dominant. And some doms don't like to have a switchy partner because they feel like they want their submissives to be submissive. So there can be a bit of, I don't want to say discrimination, but you know, it can be hard if what you're looking for is a really hyper dominant person and your partner is a switch and they have dominant tendencies, but they wouldn't classify themselves as hyper dominant, you know, and vice versa. But 
people that are switchy can be very happy in the community, can really enjoy themselves, can experience more of the community than either the doms or the subs because, you know, they may enjoy being very submissive with one of their partners. One of their partners is a heavy dom and they really enjoy that energy. They like taking orders. They like being under someone's control. They really enjoy that experience. It's very fulfilling to them. But then another situation, they may have a partner that's very submissive and they enjoy being in control. They enjoy giving the orders. They enjoy being in charge. And, you know, that's something that I can't experience because I'm very hyper dominant. I'm completely to the right of the dominant scale. And it doesn't bring me any pleasure or satisfaction or fulfillment to play a submissive role. And someone like Tatcha, for example, who's all the way on the other end of the submissive scale, while she's done dominant things in a BDSM play space, she's done it under the direction of a dominant and for the fulfillment of the submissive in that role. It doesn't excite her or make her being a dominant doesn't have any allure to Katja. It's not something she fantasizes about or feels comfortable with when she's placed in a dominant position. So for both of us, you know, we have our experience and we enjoy our experience, but I can't say that either one of us has experienced the full gamut of what BDSM has to offer. So being switchy, there's kind of a special magic there. And I have definitely had submissives that were switchy. They, with me, they were a submissive, but they had submissives of their own. And in that role, they were very dominant. They felt comfortable doing that. And when they were with me, they felt very submissive and they were very comfortable doing that. So that's that, you know, if you fall in the middle of the spectrum, if you're not a hard sub, if you're not a hard dom, you may very well fall into that. I'm kind of dominant. I'm kind of submissive. It may change throughout your life. It may change throughout a relationship. It may change from one relationship to another. So don't feel like you have to choose one or the other, and now that is who you are for the rest of your experience. I listened to another podcast that I highly recommend called the Old Guard Cigar Salon. Old Guard or On Guard? I'm not quite sure. I'll link to that. Anyway, it's a primarily male gay um, space, but it's a very kinky space. They talk about the history of gay kink culture, the, you know, what's going on with gay culture now and kink. And a lot of those guys are very switchy. Not all of them, obviously, but there are some that they've lived both lives. And for them, it was almost a progression. When they were younger, they were in the submissive role. And as they got older, they became more dominant and they tended to be in a dominant role, though they still enjoy doing both. And that is something that I want to dedicate an episode. Specifically, Katya and I were listening to one of their episodes, and we had an amazing conversation between the two of us about what they were talking about. And I think that we will go through and pull clips from that episode and talk about our experience in the, the primarily straight BDSM scene and their experience in the primarily gay BDSM scene. And while there's a lot of overlap, obviously, there are some very strong differences, especially when it comes to a progression from being submissive to being dominant. That's not so strong in the straight BDSM community as it seems to be in the gay BDSM community. But we'll, we'll get into that later. I wanted to use that as an illustration point of it might change for you. You may feel submissive now, but that doesn't mean in the future you might take on more dominant traits and vice versa. I imagine it's entirely possible for someone that is very dominant to 
enter into a relationship where they start to feel submissive. You know, I can't speak to that from my experience, but people are people and there's so many infinite variations of relationships that I can easily imagine that happening. So on the question of, am I a sub, am I a dom? The first thing I want to lay out is you don't have to be one or the other. There's no rule that says you can only be a dominant, only be a submissive. You might play in both worlds. If you are submissive, there's certain things that will appeal to you, I believe. The idea of someone else taking control, the idea of someone else being in charge of you, the idea of being told what to do, that kind of thing. If those fantasies intrigue you, it's very likely you're on the submissive side of that scale. If you're a very dominant person, I don't feel like those fantasies would really play for you. If someone said, how would you like me to tie you up and tell you what to do and control you? If you're a dominant, your reaction is, I don't think I would enjoy that. That does not spark anything sexy or fun to me. So that's kind of a, on the most coarse level, if you fantasize about BDSM, if you fantasize about power exchange, what do you fantasize about doing, you know? And that's a very good indicator of who you are on that sub-dom scale. There are surveys you can take. There's a lot of surveys I've seen, actually. I haven't done enough research into any one of them to say this is a good one or this is a bad one. But like all online surveys you take, you know, obviously there's a, a gray area, a grain of salt you need to take with those. But I think they're fairly accurate from the ones that I've seen of people. When they send me their BDSM survey and it says that they're 89% you know, submissive, it's not a surprise to me based on how I interact with them, what I know about them, how I understand their likes and dislikes. So I imagine they're fairly accurate. And they will ask you questions like, would you rather spank someone or would you rather be spanked? And obviously you can see through that question to know what they're asking. But they will ask you questions that may not be quite so on the nose that will give you some more information about the kind of submissive you are or the kind of dominant you are. So yeah, that's another thing you can do is if you do have a lot of curiosity as to am I a sub, am I a dom, take one of those surveys, see what your results are, understand that it's an online survey you're taking for free. So if it says something that doesn't feel right to you and com seems completely inaccurate, it probably isn't accurate. The very trite answer to am I a dom or a sub is if you're asking that question, you're a submissive. And I know that's not 100% true because I have met people who were dominant but needed to discover their dominance. They had been raised in situations that did not allow them the assertiveness and the control and they had always been told to be nice and play along and this is how you do. But they were actually quite dominant in their personality and it took being allowed to be dominant and encouraged to be dominant for them to understand and realize that, oh yeah, this is exciting to me, this is fun, I want to pursue this. Up until that point, you might have seen them as being submissive. So it's not 100% true to say if you're asking that question, you're submissive. I'd say it's 80% true. I feel like dominant people tend to know that they're dominant without a lot of question. Submissive people will tend to question that more and tend to wonder about their submission in that question is the answer. If you're wondering about whether you're a dom or a sub, you're probably a submissive, which is beautiful and fine and good. I'm not in any way saying that that's a negative thing, but what we see as being dominant, one of the characteristics of a dominant person is 
decisiveness. So if you're undecided on whether or not you're a dom or a sub, that's fairly indicative of you being a sub because subs are not as decisive in general. They're not as assertive in general. They tend to question more. They tend to wonder more. Dominance, right or wrong, tend to be very sure about their decisions. This is why, as I've often said, a group of dominance doesn't tend to make a very cohesive team, doesn't make a very smooth running machine, for example. On a side note, Koch and I have been watching some outdoor adventure videos and getting into this whole backpacking thing that we're into. And we're watching a documentary on a mountain climbing disaster. And I realized very quickly that one of the problems that these mountain climbing teams have is you have a lot of very driven type A dominant people trying to form a team. And that can be very difficult. And as I'm watching this documentary, I'm saying, you know, dominant, 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 dominant. No wonder they're having trouble because it is very hard as a type A driven, hard right dominant person to subject yourself to somebody else's leadership. You have to really respect that person. That person has to have shown you beyond the shadow of a doubt that they are competent and capable of leading you. And even then, it's very hard for a dominant person to follow the direction of somebody else. That's just not who we are. So it was not surprising to me that this team came to grief because of indecision. And it wasn't because no one on the team could make a decision. It's because everyone on the team had made a decision and was unwilling to back away from it. They felt like they knew best and that was the way to go. And when you have 12 people on one team that all think that they know best, really bad stuff can happen. In this case, it resulted in the death of 11 people. So I want to reiterate from me that I think that submissive people, by and large, are more valuable to society than dominant people are. So don't ever take anything that I say as being denigrating towards submissive people. If I say that a submissive person is indecisive, that's a character trait. That's not me saying something bad about them. Right? I love submissives. I value submissives. I cherish submissive people because I'm a dominant. And being a dominant, I know that if you get 10 type A people in a room, nothing's going to get done. But one type A person and nine type B or subordinate type people, you can get a lot done. You can build a pyramid. So I feel that was a tangent, but it's an illustrative tangent of one of the crucial differences between dominant people being very assertive and submissive people being a bit more indecisive, and therefore they make a good team when they're put together. I think the same problem might have happened with a bunch of submissive people, for example. No one being able to make a hard decision and wanting to defer to the person next to them, that could also lead to disaster. So you do need to have a mix, a ratio, and that ratio is about 1 to 10, hopefully. So wondering whether you're a submissive or you're a dominant, you can take a survey and that might help influence your decision, give you some insight on your submissive traits or your dominant traits. Don't rule out the possibility that you are a switch, that you might have dominant and submissive tendencies. And based on the relationship you're in, one of those will take the forefront and it will happen pretty naturally. And that falls into the second part of their question, which was, I had mentioned that when I met somebody, I knew almost instantly whether or not they were submissive. And I've thought a lot about how to answer this question. The most basic answer is I just know. The same way that I might know their gender. 
you know, 99% of the time, it's very easy to say man, woman, child, man, woman, child. And occasionally someone is more androgynous. They may make you wonder for a second, is that a man or a woman? Which is perfectly fine. But by and large, you know instantly. But if you were to be asked, how do you know? You could go with the most coarse things. Well, you know, the person's wearing clothing usually associated with women or the person's wearing clothing usually associated with men. They have a beard or they don't have a beard. You know, they have female sexual characteristics or male sexual characteristics. But you don't think about those things when you look at them. You make that decision instantaneously without thinking about it. And you just know. And that is very much for me when I meet somebody I just know instantly whether they're dominant or submissive. It's nothing mystical. It is probably a lifetime of observation and experience with people. You know, I've met so many people. I've known so many people intimately that there are certain characteristics that I don't think about that are very obvious and present to me when I meet somebody that lets me know very quickly, is this a dom or a submissive person? It's not that important, I should point out, just like someone's gender is not that important, or it shouldn't be. How you interact with someone should not be based on whether they're a dom or a sub. It should not be based on whether they're a man or a woman. It should be based on meeting them on level ground and understanding who they are. If they end up being an asshole, you may treat them as such. If they end up being a nice person, you should treat them as such. But at that beginning, it should be neutral. You should approach them as equals, as peers, on a neutral level, even if you look at them and you see them from a mile away and think, okay, that's a submissive person, great, but you're not their dominant, so it is not up to you to take control of the situation. And in my episode on how to be a dom without being an asshole, that was a crucial part of it was understand that, yes, you may be a very dominant person, but when you meet a submissive person, you do not have license to be dominant over them unless they give it to you. So when you meet a submissive person, it's a requirement that you treat them as a peer, even if you feel that dominant energy over them. So when I meet a person and I judge that they are submissive, it doesn't change how I interact with them. I don't start giving them orders. I don't start expecting them to follow my commands because they're not my submissive. I'm going to treat them like a human being. But my interaction with them will of course be influenced by how I perceive them. I would love to say that I talk to men the same way I talk to women, but I really don't. And I don't feel like you have to. I think you should approach each individual person in your life as an individual person. You might meet someone that presents as feminine and they're a woman and they enjoy classically womanly things, but they may enjoy stock car racing. You don't know. And vice versa, you may meet a really tough bearded guy who looks like he could take apart a truck with his bare hands, but his hobbies are classically feminine traits, you know, things that you wouldn't expect a guy to do. So let people be themselves, but approach each individual as an individual, whether it's dominant, submissive, man, woman, trans, doesn't matter. You need to accept people for who they are, not the box you want to put them in. So I, I want to make that clear. Like when I say that I see someone and I see that they're submissive, that's just something I know about them, just like their gender or their ethnicity. But I still want to approach them as an individual. So they may be submissive, but are they very submissive? Or are they just kind of submissive? Or do they have submissive tendencies, but they also have dominant tendencies? 
you know, that's going to vary based on who you know. So I don't think I can give a checklist of they do these four things, therefore a submissive. It comes across in their posture. It comes across in how they address you. It comes across in how they hold themselves. It comes across in so many little, tiny, almost imperceptible micro-expression type features of them. But it's not one particular thing, you know. The largest possible gesture of being submissive would be to kneel down and put their head at your feet. Obviously, that person is a submissive, but that's not going to happen in day-to-day -day life. But when I talk to someone who is submissive or less dominant than I am, it just comes across in our conversation, in their carriage, in who they are. In the exact same manner, I know if I'm talking to someone who's very dominant. And frequently, you know, two dominant people, two very dominant people will kind of circle each other cautiously like rattlesnakes. They kind of understand that the other person is like them and like magnets, they may not attract. They may not get along well because of who they are. Dominants don't tend to hang out with dominance or at least not dominants that are the same level of dominant that they are. So if you have a group of friends, as I've mentioned before, it kind of naturally sorts itself out and there becomes a natural order of hierarchy. The most dominant person will assert themselves, not necessarily in a bad way, but it'll become understood. Even with two friends, one friend tends to be the one that says, hey, let's go out and do something. And the other friend tends to be the one that says, yeah, that sounds great. But it's rare that a pair of friends are exactly equal on that, that they both suggest things, they both are willing to follow the other one's lead, etc. I'm sure it happens. It'd be awesome if it happens. But in my experience, most of the people I know, most of the friends that I've had, most of the relationships that I've seen in my life, even though it's unspoken, there is a leader-follower relationship in almost every human interaction. And I believe that we fall into that naturally. Because the way our society is structured, you may frequently be placed under the direction of someone who you would not naturally want to be under the direction of. And obviously that can be very difficult. That can be very frustrating, whether you're a submissive or a dominant. And that's just kind of how our life works. When someone is in power over us that we don't have respect for, that we would not naturally submit to, that can be very difficult for everybody, dom and sub alike. Fortunately, in our BDSM world, you should never be in a situation where you have to submit to someone who you do not have respect for and who you do not want to follow their leadership. That's one of the beauties of this chosen lifestyle, this decision that we make, is that it is a choice and you should never be in a situation where you're unhappy being under someone's direction because you always have that choice. Unlike the real world where your manager may be someone you do not respect and unless you absolutely had to, you would not follow their direction. That's just how life goes sometimes. And the last little bit that I want to express on this is that a tendency that I see in dominant people that I rarely have ever seen in submissive people is the need to show that dominance. And I've talked about this many times. If you're at a party and there's that one person that keeps trying to push themselves to the front and be the center of attention and be the dominant person in the room, that's not actually a sign of dominance. That's usually a sign of someone that is insecure. And insecurity and being dominant 
don't, it's like oil and water. They don't go well together. So that person that's constantly pushing themselves forward, that's constantly seeking attention, constantly trying to dominate the conversation or the people around them, I don't see that person as dominant. And my initial thought to them would be, they may be on the dominant side of the spectrum, but there's a lot of insecurity. They're not very comfortable with who they are. They need to show everybody around them how dominant they are. And the truly dominant people that I know, the hard doms, the people that are confident and capable and secure in themselves, never feel the need to show everybody around them how dominant they are. I don't know if there's a corresponding phenomenon with submissives where someone feels like they need to show just how submissive they are. Maybe. Attention-seeking and submissives can take a similar aspect. Sometimes someone that is very submissive will seek out that attention and make themselves unignorable, as it were. But that is a sign of, again, insecurity. It's a sign of attention-seeking. It's a submissive sign, much more than it is a dominant sign. So be aware of that in social situations, that that kind of urging forward and pressing forward and attention-seeking behavior is often a submissive signal. But by and large, most submissives don't act that way. They don't have that need to be the center of attention. If anything, submissives tend to be more retiring and are much more likely to deflect attention away from themselves because it's uncomfortable for them to have all eyes on them. They'd much rather be on the periphery following than be in the center and have everyone's attention on them. Again, these are more gross. These are more large signs of submissive and dominant behavior. When I say that I can see a dominant person or a submissive person across the room, you know, obviously I'm not interacting with them directly. There are just things about their personality, their aspect, their carriage that just tell me. And that probably is not a very satisfying answer as to how I can tell if someone is submissive or dominant. But as much as I've thought about it, it keeps coming back to that. I just know. I see these little tiny things. And when I tried to make a list of them, and I did, I realized that the list was true for both sides of the spectrum. You know, someone that's very quiet and aloof, that could be a sign of someone that's very dominant. That can also be a sign that someone is very submissive. So it's not just that quiet aloofness that will tell me that they are dominant or submissive. It's that factor combined with a thousand other factors that I may not even be aware of. But when I see that person at a party or a social function, I just know. Have I been wrong? Rarely. The, the self-effacing thing would be to say that, oh yeah, I'm wrong all the time. It's extraordinarily rare for me to make that judgment from a mile away and then get to know that person and find out that, oh no, this person that I thought was a submissive is actually very dominant. That's pretty rare. I cannot think of a time in my life where I've met somebody who surprised me once I got to know them better. Now, maybe that is confirmation bias. It certainly could be. I am a human being and I am very fallible. That much is very true. But when it comes to understanding whether someone's dominant or submissive, that's something I have locked down pretty well. And not only that, I know kind of where on the scale they are. You know, I know if someone is right in the middle, they have submissive traits, they have dominant traits. You know, I see that. I see the hard subs, the hard doms. It just comes across to me very quickly just by meeting them, seeing them, understanding even the tiniest fraction about them. I would say that the same is true for submissives as well. And 
the submissives that I've known throughout my life, and I've known many, they know a dominant person when they see one. They know a submissive person when they see one. Now, maybe that's their experience in the scene. Maybe that's them having experience with other doms and other submissives and understanding where they fall into those expected personality traits, for example. But Katja didn't have to wonder when she looked at me whether or not I was a dominant. She just knew. And she's known that with all of the partners that she's had. So it's one of those things that it could be life experience. It could be experience in the scene directly. I know that not everybody is good at reading people in general. That's not equal across all of humanity. You know, we don't all have the ability to read somebody very quickly. And just looking at someone and understanding how their personality works without getting to know them first. Whereas for me, it's very easy. I know who they are. I know who they voted for. I know what music they listen to. It just comes across to me based on my impression of them very accurately and very quickly. If I have a superpower, that's my superpower. So I hope that answers the question as well as I can. I would encourage you to check out those BDSM 101 episodes on being a submissive, what being a submissive is all about. See if that speaks to you. I don't have those numbers memorized, but if you go to our website, wickedfellow.com, you can find all of our podcasts and they all have at least a brief description of what's in that podcast. So it should not be very hard to find those episodes that refer to being a submissive and how to know if you're a submissive. Looking forward to seeing you guys again next week. I know that I've continued to not be as regular getting these podcasts out as I want to. I am striving to get more consistent and get these out every week and develop a backlog so that there's never any gaps. I do have that interview lined up for episode 50 that I think will be very exciting. I think it's going to be a great interview. I'm looking forward to that. Next week, I am going to try to get back to the threesomes in a kinky environment. I've been trying to get Kacha and my schedule to align for quite some time, and it's just difficult. It's very important to me not to interrupt her work and her sleep, for example, to drag her down here and record. But I will get that episode out. I know that a lot of you are really excited about how threesomes work in a kinky environment. And it should be a lot of fun to talk about. As always, consent is king. Take very good care of each other. And I'll see you next week. Thank God for those viewer questions, man. Sometimes I just don't know what I'm going to talk about. It's a good question, though. Very good question. And we're done.